Welcome, everybody. This is the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley. And every week, we bring you the stories of people who are making a difference in the lives of others locally, globally, and digitally. We're part of Rotary International, 1.4 million Rotarians and Rotaractors and over 36,000 clubs worldwide. All of us interested in what we, we identify as our motto, which is service above self. And to that end, we love finding stories that are about innovative approaches to service to others. And boy, do we have a good one for you today. Our speaker, Felix Brooks Church, is joining us from Addis Ababa in Ethiopia and is going to tell us about the work he has done that is about much more than making sure people have food. It's about the, the very, very scalable way to make sure people have nutritious food options in places where often that has not been the case. Welcome to the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley, and we are excited to hear your story. Rashton, thank you so much. Very excited to be here. So my name is Felix Brooks Church. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Sanku. Sanku is a social enterprise, and we have a very targeted laser-focused mission, which is to end malnutrition. Now, malnutrition, I feel, is not spoken about enough. It's a problem affecting 2 billion people every single day. I think we just reached 8 billion people as a, as a global community. So one in four people are affected by malnutrition. So essentially, people might have enough food, but there's not enough colorful things on their plate. And that's why it's coined hidden hunger. And the unfortunate effects of this means 8,000 children every single day die from very preventable disease. Um, and, and, and by adding vitamins and nutrients to the foods, the staple foods that they eat, this could absolutely stop. So what I'm going to talk to you about today is how Sanku, my organization, is able to address this, number one, how we can scale that to reach a lot of people, and ultimately how we can sustain that um, for the foreseeable future. So when I moved to Africa about uh, 10 years ago, we had to identify what was causing this problem. And this image right here is a typical image in every village or every town throughout East Africa. The main staple food cooked by this mother is maize flour cooked into a porridge or corn flour cooked into a porridge. Kids eat it, mothers eat it, uh, fathers eat it. The issue is this causes malnutrition, not the food, but what's lacking in the food. There's not enough intrinsic or natural nutrients in this staple food. It might provide carbohydrates, but not the vitamins and minerals we need to survive and thrive. And the fact they don't have access or can't afford enough of the green and colorful things on their plate this leads to what's called hidden hunger, the micronutrient deficiencies. And that leads to low IQ, that leads to uh, weak immune systems, that leads to uh, maternal deaths and deformities of children, a bunch of terrible things. So the simple solution is add vitamins and minerals to the food that people need. And this is standard science and standard practice for decades. This happens in, in, in the, what's called the global north in North America and Europe. Um, when you walk down your grocery aisle, the salt has been iodized with iodine. Uh, all the grains and, and, and flours have been fortified to made stronger with, with iron. Uh, edible oil has vitamin A. That's standard practice. That's a privilege we have. But that basic human right to nutrition has not been extended and not scaled in the areas that we work. So our job and really this first aha moment was to bring that proven safe science of impact down to the people who need it most. So we said, okay, how do we fortify? How do we make stronger the food that everybody eats every single day? How do we make it stronger with vitamins and nutrients? 
Well, first we had to figure out where was this food being produced in the village? This is where it's being produced. This is a typical maize or flour mill. And every village has one. Every town might have a dozen. Cities throughout East Africa have hundreds. But collectively, these small mills, the size of a, a small bedroom, feed nations. So second aha moment was, cool, this is where it's being produced. How can we build a machine to automate the nutrients, the vitamins and minerals, arguably life-saving nutrients into this flower source so everybody can buy it, eat it, consume it, and have a productive future? So we build this. Oh, before I get to that, the, the process of, of milling is quite simple. The operator adds raw grain into the mill. It gets ground up into flour, gets thrown into a bucket, packed away by a mother or an operator and sold literally on the street. And that's how people eat it. Again, very simple process. But if we could build a machine to add nutrients here, we're going to reach millions of people. And that's what we did. We invented this, this orange machine. It's called the Sanku dosifier because literally it doses nutrients into the flower source. It's a one-size-fits-all. I spent about two years visiting four or five countries throughout East Africa, taking measurements, stress testing, building it, making sure it was safe, scalable, robust, accurate, and can be put on every mill throughout East Africa. And the way it operates, this is the animation, the way it operates is that in one side, it's a weight-sensitive hopper, and the miller adds that grain, that yellow grain, into that weight-sensitive hopper. In the other side, you have the powdered nutrients. Think of like a, a morning multivitamin that you eat, folic acid, iron, B12, zinc, all those key things that we take for granted, ground up into powdered form into the front of the machine. As that grain in the, in the orange part of the, the machine reduces into the mill to be ground, that loss of weight is detected in a precise amount automatically of that powdered nutrient. Again, that multivitamin is added into that flour as well. An outcome safe, fortified, nutritious flour for everybody to eat. Quite simple. Now, we know it's working because each of our machines are connected to the internet through a SIM card to the nearest cell tower. So on my phone, literally, I can show you what a mill in the corner of Kenya or corner of Tanzania throughout East Africa, how much they're producing, how much nutrients are being added to that flour. If there's any technical issues that the machine's overheating or the feed screw is jammed, we can automate um, technicians to go out to, to fix the issues. We own the last mile of support. We own the last mile to guarantee that Every mill that we work with has the working tool to do this critical, critical job. Now, it's one thing to have a cool machine and millers have that, but how do we incentivize them to actually use that? So we found efficiencies or rather inefficiencies in their business that we could address to save them money to cover the cost of these nutrients. At scale, again, we want to be sustained. We want to make sure that these, these millers are doing the job every single day for the next couple of decades. So we realized that the empty flour bag that these millers use to pack their flour, they're buying from middlemen and paying a premium. They're paying a lot of cost because they're buying small amounts. We have built a factory where we produce not only the nutrients, but also these flour bags in East Africa. And because we buy at bulk and economies of scale, we can sell these flour bags a lot cheaper. And the savings are able to cover the cost of the nutrients. So the miller has essentially neutralized the cost of this job. The biggest result of that is the miller can now sell in the, in the marketplace those pink bags filled with fortified flour at the same price as the unfortified flour, what you see on the screen on the left. So a mother can buy fortified flour at the same price as unfortified flour. And that's how we achieve scale is that we avoid any behavioral change or any um, economical 
um, a stress on a mother who is buying this product. Now, this is the picture of success. This is one of the 1,000 mills that we work with, feeding close to 6 million people every single day in East Africa. Those pink bags are now fortified, life-saving flour. The miller here has access to technology and support from our organization to do this critical job. And most importantly, a mother now has access and can afford to buy this food, take it home, feed her children, and, and improve their health. We are a small organization of about 100 staff throughout Tanzania and Kenya, 98% uh, of which are from that. There's me and my CFO in the US, which are not from East Africa. We have about 1,000 mills feeding close to 6 million people every single day. In our work, we've gathered a lot of attention. We've won, won a lot of awards and gotten recognition, Time Magazine Invention of the Year. Uh, we work at the World Food Program, feeding close to 400,000 uh, refugees from um, Congo, from Somalia, from uh, um, Burundi. And, and so, yes, this is great recognition, but what we care about is scale and impact. And our biggest mission is to reach 100 million people by 2030. In order to do so, we have to scale throughout East Africa, past Kenya, past Tanzania, to where, we're, where I'm sitting there uh, right here today in, in Addis Ababa. I just came here yesterday to talk to the government, to sign MOUs, to launch this program, to reach 50 million people just in this country over the next couple of years. So lots of exciting opportunities for growth, but we do need help. And so this is the team, this is the exec team um, of the hundred that we work with. This is the exec team, very diverse. Just to name a few, if I had more time, I'd go through the whole list. But John uh, from Kenya, he comes to us from Nestle, the company. He's, the factory we built here is the eighth factory he's built for Nestle. Um, uh, for us, but for Nestle, he built seven. Uh, uh, Mary here is our CFO. She has 30 years of international corporate experience. She ran uh, Metagenics, which is a $500 million company. And Boney runs our people operations, our HR. She has 20 years of experience with uh, the banking and the telecom sector. So we have a very, very, very diverse and very experienced team to get us to scale. So our journey is essentially, we know what the problem is, malnutrition, Huge problem. We've addressed it. We've addressed the vehicle, maize flour, to get these key nutrients into people. We built a technology, invented a machine to actually do the job. We, we've developed a business model to pay for that job, to incentivize our customers, our beneficiaries, our millers to do that job. And now we have to take that to scale and sustain that at scale. We are market-based. We rely on philanthropy and from the market revenue. At scale, we'll be able to cover all of our costs from the market and not need that flint. And that's the ultimate goal. So we're sitting right here, building this company from 6 million people going up to 100 million people. We're in that last stage, that critical stage. And this is where we need the most support. So on that note, very excited to be here. I thank you for this opportunity and really happy to discuss any questions during this period. Thank you. All right. It looks like you so much. There, there are so many kind of good spaces we can go to uh, as part of our Q&A. I do want to introduce the team that we have got on the recording. Uh, and so uh, all of you, uh, if you will, if you will uh, bring on your camera uh, long enough to be able to, to wave at it, that would be wonderful. So in addition to, the, to Felix, the CEO from Sanku, we have their, their marketing lead uh, from Tanzania. We have Nelson Mwangi. Uh, Nelson, very good to have you. Uh, we have a longtime friend of the club and one of the original uh, charter members of this club, 
uh, Chris uh, Cochran, who is in Canada. And other members of this club include, uh, wave at the camera, want to call your name, Cecilia, our treasurer in Italy, and Rory, our, our, our Houstonian, and Manu in Germany. Uh, and thank you all for being part of this. My name is Rushton. I'm always excited to help us share these kinds of stories. And so let's shift to our Q&A. We've got, we got plenty uh, that, have, that have come via the chat. Uh, the first one's uh, from Cecilia. Some, some great questions that, that I too was wondering. Some of the elements of this, each machine, if, if you're looking at, at ways that, that organizations, rotary, rotary clubs, service organizations are, are, are able to help what you do, where do they start? Is it, is it the kind of thing of, can you help us uh, create a, like, uh, pay for a machine that we can get to one of our millers? Is it something a little different? How much do these machines cost? Great question. Um, these machines cost about $2,500. And um, yeah, that's material. But when you think about the fact that this machine, first of all, installed in the field last seven, eight years. And I say that because seven or eight years we installed them. So every year uh, that goes on, we can say nine years, then 10 years. But so call it seven or eight years, it's in the field. But on average, every day they're feeding 5,000 people. So an investment of $2,500 you know that that machine that you've purchased and supported our organization to put into the field in a village in the middle of Kenya or Tanzania, every day is feeding that village 5,000 people for the next seven, eight beyond years. So for us, it's the cost per person and that return on social investment um, is pretty inspiring. That's fantastic. Now, now when, when we think about what is needed on the ground for a miller to be able to do this, because Obviously, if you're connecting with people who are already in the field, that, that's huge advantages. Uh, locals who are already doing this, you're giving them an incentive to, to doing this at, at yet more advantage to them. Um, but, you know, let's say there's an organization that has some kind of facility in a rural part of one of these East African countries, and they'd like to add uh, the ability to do this. So one element is like, I assume this requires electricity or is that not the case? Um, it, it does require electricity and, uh, most of the mills that we work with are already electric mills. And so they have a power source. And so we just, it's plug and play in that sense. There are some mills, for example, we work in, uh, Kikuma is a refugee camp in Northern Kenya. It doesn't have electricity. Um, we have a, a school feeding program there where we're feeding 80,000, uh, refugee children. And because there's no electricity, we built a small solar panel, very small, to power our machine. Our machine takes about a hundred watts, so less than a light bulb, um, and so it is pretty um, uh, adaptable depending on the on the geographic uh, situation. So, wow! Um, now you're in you're in Ethiopia, uh, you, and this is because you this is this is the latest country for you to establish a presence for Sanku in, and you have this this very large population that's going to get you to that hundred million that kind of thing. So. Do how do how do you connect with people on the ground in a country you enter like Ethiopia? I mean, is, is it a matter of referrals, connections? How, how do you get to the poorest areas? Well, first of all, when we when we consider a country to expand, number one, we want to be invited. We're not pushing ourselves in there. So the government of Ethiopia literally came to our offices in Kenya and said, "We would like your solution in our country." So number one, we got invited. I came over. We discussed. Um, it has to be a priority. It has to be a law. 
We want the government to pass a law, and the government does that, that all staple foods, whether it's oil, salt, sugar, or flour, these staple foods that we need to cook and eat must be fortified or nutrients added to it. So those two things, an invitation and some sort of mandate or, or priority for fortification has to be in place. But once we're here, as I am today, then they start introducing us to kind of regional governments, local leaders, Miller associations. And as we work our way down into the communities, we start to meet eventually the beneficiaries. Um, the other day, I went to visit a few shops where flowers being sold and mothers were coming to buy it. And I started talking to them saying, you know, uh, talking to the mother, her, her, her son was being sick very often. There's a stress on her to have to take him to the doctor. And I told her about this solution. And so we, we hear from them. Our ears are open. We're telling about our story. They're telling us about um, their story. So there's so much opportunity as we work from the government all the way down to the ground. And we've proven that in Tanzania and Kenya and now in Ethiopia as well. One of the things that seems so exciting to me about this is that, um, you know, it, it's that scalable piece, right? I mean, Africa is already so promising in terms of talent, uh, you know, people ready to to work at at quite high levels and all. I mean, like th this this is this is clearly a, a space for anyone wanting to create something that can scale significantly. And it sounds like that you're overlapping that with the the compounding value that comes from helping communities take health issues that are otherwise sucking up attention and resources that, and these are easily preventable issues right i mean is is that a fair characterization of of the value of your work absolutely and and you know our goal is to get to mothers before their mothers and get to children within those first 1000 days and that's where nutrition has its most impact and again as i mentioned earlier uh, you know having a nutrition nutritious diet accounts for a 13.5 increased IQ. And so, yes, it's great to build schools, but if you don't have healthy children that can be um, you know, dedicated to their work, have a higher IQ, IQ and, and, and more attention, then it's going to struggle to build a strong workforce. And so for us, it's really getting into that prevention, not treatment, but prevention from day one. And from there, you build a foundation. Uh, and, and that's kind of the micro, I guess, impact. But when you kind of put that all together, you have this macro national impact, especially when you look at what the cost to a country is uh, regarding malnutrition. Just in Tanzania, I think it's close to $400 million a year in GDP losses due to a, a sick workforce, bad education, um, absenteeism. Uh, in Ethiopia, I just learned the other day, it's over $4 billion, right? And so when you have a healthy uh, um, workforce, when you have a healthy uh, children going to school, that trickles up over time. And over a generation, you can build a nation. Wonderful. Uh, more questions coming in. Uh, let, let's take a look um, actually at, at some of the marketing challenges that may be part of this. So Nelson, thinking about your role in Sanku, um, you know, one of the things that that you are going to face is is how do we talk about this this particular, you know, kind of promising possibility in a lot of different cultural settings? Um, if you could unmute and tell us a little bit about the the things that you do to help tell this story in powerful ways. Thank you, Rashton. And um, what I do mostly is about like telling, translating the story from the field to make it make sense for maybe someone like you who is sitting somewhere in Silicon Valley. And a lot of times you'll find the challenges like trying to, uh, um, you know, like for someone like you, I'm sure you've never seen a meal on the ground. So, you know, like that is a challenge for me. 
how do I make you see this abstract thing somewhere out there in the field and think of it as a solution, you know, uh, because you've never seen a meal, whether it's a small, whether it's a medium, you only know your food on the plate or on the shelf uh, of a big chain somewhere. So, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a huge challenge for me, translating the, the very micro and small abstract story in the field to make it make sense for uh, someone out there who has never had such an experience. Uh, yeah. Well, clearly the work that, that you and Felix and, and the team are doing to, to make the promising nature of the work so compelling uh, has has got to help for sure, F Felix. As you've talked to people in communities, like like one of the things that that we know from design thinking principles is that if you don't do a good job of getting buy-in from locals, it just it doesn't it doesn't matter how good your your product or your service is, right? Uh, I mean, the the work of of NGOs in Africa is littered with good intentions and terrible implementation. Is is there something about your experience that that was especially powerful in helping you understand how to work with people on the ground there so that what you're doing can be effective? Absolutely. Um, you know, first of all, it's important to say that that our team we have 198 are from East Africa, and, and we tend to try to hire from the communities that we're helping. And and so obviously everyone has a relatable story, and and so we're not trying to sell something; we're trying to communicate something that we live. And so that's the first thing. So there's that honesty and there's that credibility. And so when we approach a miller, uh, again, these millers are the ones producing the flour. We're not trying to sell them anything. We're trying to present them with an opportunity to improve the community's health and really elevate these millers as health heroes in their communities. So we talk about Sanku, but really we should be talking about the millers. They're the ones doing the job. We're providing them with the tools. And the millers really should be on this platform as the heroes. They're producing this flower. They're selling it to the flower. They're communicating the the importance of this 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 initiative and of better health to the mothers coming to buy that flower. And so that's really our angle is to be in the back, um, to be a supporting mechanism, to let the people who are feeding the people be the health heroes. And and to Nelson's point, you know, how can we get those stories and communicate that to a wider audience? It's not communicating what Sanku does. It's communicating what this tiny little Miller does to Nelson's point and getting that story really embedded into the hearts of people like you. Well, in, in, in that regard, uh, you know, I think for, for lots of people in service organizations in different parts of the world, uh, you know, the folks who, who really kind of see like, oh, fantastic. You know, they, they want to know about some very specific pieces. You know, we talked about it being about a $2,500 uh, machine. I think we're talking specifically about the Dossifier. But what is what is the size of of the unit itself? Like to to what degree is the size of the unit um, either advantageous for for getting these out to places that are perhaps harder to reach, or uh, or or not as much and require extra energy and financing on your side to 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 move them around? Well, I, I spent two years about ten years ago, two years in Kathmandu in the foothills of the Himalayas, uh, whacking out in metal shops trying to build this machine literally inventing it. And the goal always was to have something compact. I'm not sure if you can see my hands, but um, something small enough that could be strapped to the back of a bicycle, uh, literally to, to transport it that easily. Uh, and the mills, as you saw in the presentation, they're quite small. The mills are quite small that we attach this on. So it has to be um, transportable, light, 
um, cost effective as well. And so, and that's what it is. And so these machines, you know, they're $2,500 because yeah, they have some electronical components and, and, and things like that, but they are quite simple and easy to move around. Um, we have about a thousand already in the field. Our goal is to double next year. Um, and so we can produce them pretty quick. We can install them pretty quick. It, it is out of the box, essentially plug and play because it's so automated. The great thing about that is it reduces all this human error. The, the miller that's using it doesn't have to do any calculations or calibrations. Um, and we know it's working again because right on my phone right now, I can show you a thousand mills that are doing the job. So uh, to, to answer your question the long way, we wanted to build something very simple, very cost effective, ultimately accurate. So it has that impact. So, so in, in putting together, uh, a, an initiative and the associated story that has, has so many moving parts, right. Uh, and, and comes together well, there, there will be background that you have that Nelson has that, that, that essentially puts you in a position to be able to help make these things happen. I'm curious, Nelson, from you and Felix from you as well, what, what are those things in your background that led you to be able to think about something like this, take part in something like this, and uh, and and do what you do on a day to day basis in a way that may not be a part of the basic story of the organization, but is much more about how you came to it. So, Nelson, can we start with you on that? Yes, thank you. And I think the fact being, when I was growing up, um, I'm from Kenya, and in Kenya, maize is a staple food. And yesterday, I was telling uh, another team I was speaking to that if I don't eat ugali today, I'm so sure I'll eat it tomorrow. So there's no way I'm running from this. And, and this evening I ate ugali, but I know it was fortified because I bought it from one of our millers uh, here in Dar es Salaam. So it's, for me, it was a no-brainer. You know, it's, it's straightforward. Um, when I see a packet of flour written fortified uh, maize flour, you know, it's something I will go to my neighbor. They have a packet of ugali. They'll eat it today, uh, today, this tonight for dinner or tomorrow uh, lunch. You know, it's something that we need in our homes. We, everyone is eating it. So we have to make sure that we are eating the healthy food, nutritious food, and we are not just eating it. And we are not just eating to, to fill our bellies. And when you look at the numbers, um, the losses in GDP, the lost potential for, for our countries. I, I mean, the numbers are mind boggling. 400 million USD for Tanzania is, is a lot of money. It's life changing for a country like this. So getting into this is it, it was a no brainer for me. It was just a quick decision. Fantastic. Um, and so Felix, for, for you, uh, you know, and, and, and as I think about this, right, I, I'm kind of in that space of like, Hey, lots of people want to see that there are people who need food or need certain kinds of food. What got you into, to, to really thinking, okay, what they need is fortified flour. Like, like how, how did you get from kind of the obvious story to the underlying and, and, and effectively far more important story? Yeah, I, I didn't start off this this career with the idea that I want to invent a machine and do fortification and add nutrients to flour. Um, my my story got there, but um, you know this was 2006, so almost well, well 15 years ago. Um, I moved to Cambodia in in Southeast Asia through an invitation of a, of a friend to help him with a small project 
helping um, get children off the streets. Um, we were working with about 100 kids, and in the area we were working with was uh, obviously very poor and, and dangerous, and these children were exposed to a lot of horrible things, and, and one of them being malnutrition. I didn't realize that at the time, but these children coming into our project, uh, they, I was taking you know, their age and their name, and they said they were 12 or 11, and it looked like they were eight or nine. And so there was a physical stunting. These children were obviously stunted. And then as we worked with them with the education programs that we had, there was also obviously a cognitive delay there as well. And then their immune systems were obviously um, pretty weak and cuts would take weeks to heal. Uh, heal and, and we lost a few to malaria and diarrhea, which you should not pass from. So at that point, I said, I'm not doing enough. There's something going on here and I need to learn. So I researched and figured out um, all the things about malnutrition, what that causes. And then I thought, well, I need to get out of treatment and into prevention. And fortification was just every time I looked was the most cost-effective preventive, preventive, preventative measure to combat malnutrition. And then that's when I got connected with my co-founder, a, um, a Stanford Graduate School business professor. And um, we started this journey and we looked at food fortification and, and business models and all these moving pieces to ultimately do what we're doing now and, and get to work with pe uh, people like Nelson and the rest of the team to, that really cares about this, um, that creates these health heroes in the community and brings this proven science um, to the people who need it most. And because it's so cost-effective, less than a dollar a day to guarantee a person has fortified flour for an entire year, a cup of coffee for an entire year, um, is why we do it every day. So... Uh, before we wind things down, I got one more question for for the two of you, uh, and then we'll we'll finish up the recording and then continue talking to you to the extent that your your time allows. Um, I work with a lot of really wonderful students who are excited about the possibility that their ideas can make a difference in the lives of others in their communities locally and globally. Uh, and so, I'm I'm curious what advice you might have for young people, uh, especially teenagers who are in that space of saying, you know, what, what, is it, what is it that I can do that can be powerful locally or globally or digitally, you know, in, in, that, in that space of your experiences may lead you to say, keep this in mind, or is there something along those lines? Nelson, why don't you start us off? What, what advice do you have for teens anywhere who might be thinking in terms of, of living lives of service? I think um, what I can tell them is, there is a lot of good needed in this world and there's so much good they can do to, to make it a better place. Um, it doesn't have to be in their communities only, but also globally because we have uh, millions of children and millions of people out there who, who need our help. And it is upon us to, to make a difference in their lives. Thank you. Wonderful. Felix. Nelson said it perfectly. I think it's, it's about getting out there um, and having the confidence to do something that's out of your comfort zone and something different day to day. And it could be something huge. It could be something small. And, and, and my journey started, just as an example, and my journey started with literally just taking and accepting an invitation to move to a country to volunteer for four weeks. And I ended up staying four years. And then now 15 years later, I'm sitting here in front of you. Uh, and so kind of jumping at opportunities to make a difference um, could literally change your life and more importantly, change hundreds of millions of people's lives. So I, I think be confident, be open to invitations and um, and care, you know, give a crap, <laughs> literally. Fantastic. 
I'll hand it back to you, Felix, in a minute for the final word uh, for those who are are watching this as a recording. But for all of you who have joined us uh, for this recording, it is important to us that that we share these kinds of stories, these kinds of stories that inspire us to see within ourselves the opportunities that that are are often so close at hand to make a difference, and that that the meaning and the joy that comes from being engaged in that kind of activity is something that is is life-affirming in so many ways. We hope you will let us know you were here. There is an attendance form on our page, uh, the SiliconValleyRotary.com. Uh, and if you have encountered this program on our meeting page, scroll down a little bit, you will find that attendance form and our uh, discussion forum, Discuss DIS QUS. If you are finding us on our YouTube page, uh, then by all means, uh, scroll down. You can learn a little bit more about uh, Felix's background and get some links that will allow you to uh, to explore these possibilities and how you might help in, in, in other ways as well. As we always like to do, we hand it back to our speaker for the final word. Felix, what would you like for people to have clearly in mind as they finish watching this recording? Um, first of all, thank you again um, for us. We feel that food is a basic human right. Most importantly, nutritious food is a basic human right. We get it every day. We, we, we take for granted that basic human right. Uh, but there's millions of people out there, literally 2 billion people that don't have it. So support us and support other organizations in this sector. Um, we need it and the 2 billion people need it as well. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Felix. And everyone, join us at any time at rotary.cool and we will see you next week.